Good morning and welcome. Would you please stand for the call to worship? To you, O Lord, we lift up our souls. In you we trust, O Lord, our God. The Lord is our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. He is our shield and the horn of our salvation, our stronghold. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you have given us, and we thank you for another day of life. We thank you for bringing us through another week of work and fellowship, through hard tasks and through difficult days. We ask that you bless our time of worship in your house and ask that your spirit be upon us. Please be with us all of this day and every day as we strive to do your will. In your Son's perfect and holy name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's great to see you as uh, we gather for worship today. 
want to highlight just a few things in, happening in the life of the church uh, in the coming weeks. Wednesday evening, our ministries are on regular schedule. And next Sunday morning, we will gather for worship at 829, 40, and 11. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. It's hard to believe that we're already at that point of the church year. Uh, so this will be a special day, and the children will uh, come in waving palm branches as we uh, begin our worship next Sunday. I um, want to uh, ask you if you are interested in a ministry opportunity on Easter to help out with Children's Church. And it's a great opportunity to share Jesus with our children. So if you're interested in helping, uh, you see the information in the bulletin about that. There are a couple of things uh, happening uh, on the weekend of Easter. On Good Friday, we are hosting a prayer event, uh, Journey Through the Cross. And we'll be uh, putting up destinations in the gym, community room. And it will be an opportunity for us to encounter the various elements of the passion of Christ. And it's a come and go thing to come at, to open at 10 to 6 in the afternoon. And you can come and stay as long or as little as you would like. Some of the uh, destinations will be interactive, some just reflective. But it, it is an opportunity to think about the cross in a different way on this very important and special day in the life of the church. And so uh, we want to invite you to make that a priority for your your time if you're going to be here in town on Good Friday. Easter is uh, April 8th, and uh, that morning uh, we will be uh, baptizing those who are interested, and we'll be having a class this week. The bulletin says Tuesday, but actually it's Wednesday. Wednesday at 4 o'clock, if you're interested in being baptized, uh, please come to that class, and this will be a time to prepare you for uh, baptism Easter morning. I'm also offering a membership class. It'll be the week after Easter. If you're interested in joining or knowing more about the church and membership, let me know as we get that class together. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. Uh, Folks who are connected to us, uh, I do want to mention a couple of uh, things about the the recent deaths. Uh, Mary Ballard died uh, earlier this week, and she is the uh, mother of Rosalind Danner, Marilyn Heiler, and her service will be Tuesday. The visitation will be at 10 o'clock here at the church and the service at 11 o'clock here at the church. And that will be Tuesday for Mary Ballard. Martha Woolsey Wacker, will, we will have a memorial service for her on Saturday at 1030 at the Absolute of Houghton. Uh, for uh, Martha at 1030 on Saturday at the Absolute. We also want to pray for the people of Mali. We just received word a little bit earlier this morning that there was a military coup there and uh, things are locked down and Come in uproar, and I know that Dale and Howard's, uh, Dale and Howard have a son and daughter-in-law who are missionaries there in the country. So there are a lot of things happening. I'm sure there's a lot of anxiety and fear among the people, and we want to pray for God's peace and grace on this nation.
Thank you, choir. To invite you to join me in the prayer of confession as printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together in unison. God, our Lord and Creator, we acknowledge that we have sinned against you. Our actions have fallen short of Christ. Our attitudes have not reflected Christ. Our words have not communicated Christ. We have been more concerned with our own comfort than with our neighbor's pain. We too often use our resources to protect what we want rather than being burdened with compassion for what others need. In our fascination with self, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Nevertheless, you have kept faith with us. We ask for your mercy upon us. Strip us of all that is unchristian and help us to live up to our calling. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A reading from the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 4. Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up, like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lamps on it, with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel? Then I asked the angel, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again I asked him, What are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, Do you not know what these are? No, my lord, I said. So he said, These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
Dear Lord, as we humbly come before you, we ask that you bless the offering that is about to be taken up. Bless its use to the work of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. have the opportunity now to pray together. If you would like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come today acknowledging your goodness and mercy in our lives and acknowledging how undeserving we are of all of your gifts. In this Lenten season, as we think about the cross, it's so evident your great love for us 
and that you are motivated to love not because of anything we have done or in any way in which we are deserving, but simply because you love us. And you want to redeem us and you want to restore us to fullness of relationship with you and with each other. And we thank you. Father, you know the burdens that weigh heavily upon us today. Illness, pain, suffering, grief, death, loss, uncertainty about the future, decisions that need to be made the anxiety we feel about life seeming to be out of control. A relationship that we know is not what it should be. And all of these, these realities of life weigh upon us. And this morning we want to give them to you. We want to lay them at the foot of the cross and ask for your healing. And your comfort and restoration and for courage and for trust and for your presence. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. We think especially of the people in Mali. We don't really know what is happening, but it, it must feel so frightening to people. There's uncertainty. There will be a struggle for power. And we ask, Father, that in the midst of all that could happen, that you will bring peace. And help your people to stand tall for peace. We pray, Father, for other places of the world where... We see such need for you, and we ask for your grace and mercy. We pray for the leaders of this nation and the nations of the world, that you would work miraculously through them as you have done so many times in the history of the world. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your love poured out to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we offer this prayer, remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Please stand for the gospel reading. A reading taken from the New Testament from the book of Luke, chapter 22. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one to me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. 
He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. This is the word of the Lord.
Father, we come to you and ask for your grace. Speak to us as we continue in worship. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I'm sure it might be true for some of you as it was for me as we were singing that song. It took me back to when I was a child and we would sing that often in church. And I was just thinking about how much the world has changed in those years. It seemed like in those days that, you know, Christians pretty much had the freedom to do whatever we wanted to do at any time. And it feels as the years have progressed that there are more restrictions on us as Christians. That the opposition to us and our faith has increased. I read about a court case recently in California where a teacher was continually ridiculing the Christian faith. And one of the students who was a Christian uh, took him to court to stop. And the court said, no, he has the right to say whatever he wants to about the Christian faith. He can ridicule it all he wants. That's okay. And we hear that and we think, whoa, that's so different from how things used to be. And yet, not really. When you look back through history, the, God's people have always faced opposition. The Israelites face opposition. The early church faces opposition. And all through the years, there is opposition. And in fact, in this country, we face very little opposition in compared to most of the world and our brothers and sisters throughout the world. But God's people have faced difficulties. And there is something of that that Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples as they bring to a close their time in the upper room and then move into the garden and the events that will transpire there. In the verses 35 to 38, in some of the last words that Jesus speaks, at least that Luke records, he says to his disciples, the opposition is going to increase. He tells them that, you know, when I sent you out before, remember that. How did that go? And he said, it went great. We didn't need anything. And he says, now you're going to need. Now you're going to need, a, you're going to need funds and you're going to need protection. Because once I am dead, once they have, they have crucified me, the opposition is going to be empowered. Before, when you went out, if you said, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, Jesus is kind of a cult hero. And so that was cool. Yeah, come on in. We'll take care of you. We'll feed you. We'll house you. And and people welcomed you. But in that day, they won't welcome you anymore because to welcome you is going to pit them in opposition to the religious leaders. And it will put their their own selves at risk. Before, when you went out, you had everything you wanted. Now, when you go out, you're an outlaw. And you need to understand that the opposition is increasing. You need to be ready for that. And it shouldn't surprise us. The opposition to God's people has always been a reality of life. And like the disciples, we are asking the question, Lord, what do we do about that? And you move on through the story here in Luke 22 to the 49th verse. In the New Living Translation, it says, Lord, should we fight? Lord, should we fight? We have swords. Should we fight? And it's the same question that Christians are asking today. Lord, should we fight? How do we respond to people who oppose us? 
What do we do about it? God's people have been asking that question for a long, long time. You go back to Zechariah. And the people have come back from exile. And they're beginning to try to establish the nation of Israel once again. And one of the key elements of that is the temple. The temple is not just a building. It symbolizes Yahweh's presence among them. It symbolizes that they are God's people. And they are worshiping God. And and their faith with God is active. And all that they had known before is being restored. It's all symbolized in the temple. And the nations around them don't want them to be God's people once again. They like it when they're submissive to other nations and scattered. And so they're trying to oppose them building the temple. And they say, what should we do? How do we handle this? And the Lord's word comes to Zechariah and he says, those people who oppose you will be overcome not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And that's still the word today. That was the word of Jesus to his disciples centuries later. It's still God's word to us today as we ask, Lord, in the face of this opposition, do we fight? I think one of the things that we find in this text and throughout Scripture, particularly here, we see that if if we're going to respond to opposition the way that Jesus does, then we have to to commit ourselves to refuse to use strategies that that are contrary to Jesus. We cannot use strategies that Jesus wouldn't use. That's hard because we look around at the strategies of the world and the way things get done in our world. And we think that's what we need to do. I mean, that's how you accomplish things. That's how, that's how you get things. And if that's the way things happen in this world, then if we're going to be a part of bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, we need to engage in those same strategies. These are the strategies people are using against us. So if they work against us, they should work when we go against the other people. But somewhere in that, we have to hear Jesus' word to Pilate as they're having their conversation in John 18. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. But my kingdom's not of this world. It's a a bigger, different kingdom. And so we don't respond the way you would think. Somehow, we, have to, we present Christ in a way that is contrary to the normal strategies of this fallen world. Something about the strategy we use is, that we use makes people stop and take notice and say, that's different. It's not the way we typically do things here. All of the earth's strategies, the world's strategies are flawed and only the strategy of God in Christ can bring the kingdom of God in he- on earth as it is in heaven. And the great temptation that faces us is to believe that we can, we can use the strategies of this earth in order to bring about God's kingdom. The great temptation is to believe that those strategies that work everywhere else will work in the church and work in the kingdom. And so we hear ourselves saying, if we, just had, if we just had enough money, then we could bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. If we just had political clout, 
we could bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. If we just had power, we could bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. If we could get these laws enacted, if we could get public opinion uh, to, to support us, then we could really do something for God and we could make a difference. And all the while, we have forgotten that the strategies of this world are not the strategies of Christ. In his book, Hustling God, Craig Barnes says that for Christians, the most deadly temptation is not about our goals, but it's the means we will use to get to those goals. We become so obsessed with the goals that we will trample people to get to them. That if we have to compromise what we know is right, we'll do it because the goal is what's most important. If we have to, if we have to you know, do something a little different than Jesus would do, well, it's okay because the goal is what's important. And he goes on, he makes this interesting statement. He said, it's because of this obsession with the goal that then causes us to do whatever we think we have to do to get to that goal. He said, because of that, good people become mean people. Good people become mean people. And we've all seen it. Maybe we've done it. we're, We're so concerned about this ministry in the church happening that we trample over other ministries in order to make it a reality. It's like a parent that yells at their child about being kind. You know, we do this at work. We do this in our homes. We do this in our relationships. It's because we believe, we've come to believe that the end justifies the means. And it doesn't. I used to think that God's primary concern in our lives was the end, where we get to. I'm coming to see that I think God is more concerned about the journey than the end. Because if we don't if we don't live the journey in the spirit of Christ, we'll never get to the end. We as Christians, we're not concerned about just the end. We're concerned about how we get to the end, how we live, the way we treat people, the kind of decisions that we make that are reflective of Christ. And the strategies of this world will always fall short of the plan and the kingdom of God. I suspect that this is something related to Jesus' conversation about bringing a sword. It's one of the oddest things that we have recorded in Scripture, Jesus saying. It's one of those head scratchers where you say, Jesus really said that you, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one? Biblical scholars who debate, you know, what, if there are parts of Scripture that maybe weren't in the original text and they try to figure that out and think one of the, one of the tests for that is, is to, to ask, would a scribe years later add this because it makes the text and it makes the people in the text look better? Well, this is one of those passages where you know a scribe did not put that in. There's no way in the world a scribe is going to put the words in Jesus' mouth, sell your cloak and buy a sword. And, and when Jesus, Jesus responds to the disciples, and he, when he says, this is enough, that's enough, he's not saying, all right, we have enough ammunition to take out the Romans. Two swords, good enough. You know, what are two swords to this Roman mob that's coming to get Jesus? 
It's a rebuke. He's saying enough about the swords. It's like telling a child a story. And, you know, you have this group of children, you tell a story about some, some beautiful story of a prince and a princess and all, all these wonderful things happen. It's got this great moral that you're trying to, to communicate to them. And somewhere in the story, you inadvertently, just inadvertently mention a frog. And for the next 15 minutes, you're answering questions about frogs. You know, what color was the frog? Why do frogs' eyes bulge out like that? How far can a frog hop? How long can a frog hold their breath underwater? And you're like, enough of the frogs. Frogs have nothing to do with the story. Why are we on this? You've all been there, right? You've done that. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing. Enough about the swords. I was just trying to help you understand that this is going to be difficult. There's going to be a lot of pressure on you, a lot of opposition. This is not about swords. That's enough talk about the swords. But we get so enamored with wanting to fight and with the weapons that all we want to talk about are the swords. And I think it's because we have forgotten that that the way of the cross is the way of life. That we don't use the strategies of this world to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We don't use the strategies of this world in opposition to those who, who want to degrade us and, and want to fight against us. I think one of the reasons that we really wrestle with this is, is because we, use, we tend to use the weapons of this world to defend uh, the interests of the kingdom more often than not. When I listen to people talking about wanting to engage the culture and change the culture and, and try to do some things in the culture, it seems to me that most of the time what they're really talking about is protecting Christian interests. I want to make sure that I maintain my rights as a Christian. I want to make sure that I am able to do what I want to do. I want my life to be as easy as possible. And so that's why I fight. And, and we get so wrapped up into that, that when we hear people say, we need to protect our Christian rights, our natural response is, yeah, of course. When actually the response should be, says who? It struck me a number of years ago that one of the great oxymorons of our faith is Christian rights. It just seems to me that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, something of that is given up. The one, because it's about the one who, who Paul describes, who gave up his right to grasp being God. He gave it up. But we want to hang on. Some of you may have heard about the, the new television show on ABC called GCB. And it stands for Good Christian Bells. At least that's what it stands for now. It didn't originally stand for that. But they, they you know, it's a, basically it's a, it's a story, a weekly show about how Christians or people who are in the church in the South, I think it's particularly directed to women. I haven't seen it, but I saw a few previews of it and I've read about it. Particularly, it talks about how they gossip and backbite on each other and, and don't act very Christian toward each other. And it presents Christians in a very negative light. And, and I don't like that. And it bothers me. And I read about a group this week 
that uh, their goal was, they claimed to have a million people that follow them, and their goal was to put enough pressure on the network through boycotting the show's sponsors that they would shut the show down. And after the first week, this letter came out. Victory, way to go. You're making a huge difference. Most of last week's sponsors heard you loud and clear and did not sponsor this week's episode. They pulled their ads from the Christian bashing ABC program. Our organization continues to be disgusted with the new program, which is blasphemy at its worst. It mocks Christianity repeatedly. The anti-Christian program blasphemes God, Jesus Christ, God's church, and the Bible. And as Christians, we will not stand for this Christian bashing program. Their actions are giving damaging and destructive perceptions of our religion. Together, we will defend our Christian values and beliefs. Networks like ABC continue to mock Christianity, and we will not put up with it. Now, about three thoughts came to me as I read that. One was, I wonder if we ought to use this opportunity to examine ourselves and our church and, and ask... Is there any truth in what this show is revealing? Is there any reason that we might say, hmm, that does kind of look like us, doesn't it? The second thing that came to my mind is that when, you, when I read this language, it sounds an awful lot like the language we heard coming from the radical Muslims after the soldiers burned the Quran. Now, I'm not saying that this group is going to bomb the ABC headquarters. But their language sounds an awful lot like that. And it's language that comes from people who are not followers of Christ instead of people who are followers from Christ. The third thing that came to my mind is if we're really concerned about people being misrepresented, then do we create these kinds of responses when we see Latinos being misrepresented? Or atheists being misrepresented. Or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses being misrepresented. I haven't heard that happening. And I think it comes back to, it's about us. You know, I come back to to Jesus talking about the sword. And and I, I wonder if one of the reasons Jesus brings up swords in the first place is to remind the disciples and to remind the enemies of the disciples that we have weapons. We have all the same weapons that the rest of the world has. We have the weapons of power and wealth and prestige and and political clout. We have weapons. We just choose not to use them. We have weapons at our disposal. We don't use them. And you have to wonder about what this, this strategy of self-preservation, what kind of message that's sending to our children. When people oppose you, if you've got a sword, use it. And it's hard for us. I don't like to see this kind of thing happen. I don't want Christians to be misrepresented. But is it possible that our response to the misrepresentation is missing what Christ is calling us to be. Because ultimately, we have to come to the place of understanding that in the face of opposition, the plan of God, of how his people respond to that, is love that culminates on the cross. 
That is what, that's the strategy of the kingdom of God. It's loving, it's compassion toward our enemies. It's grace and mercy and patience and kindness and truth. All truth. Not just truth that benefits us. And we begin to understand that God's strategy for winning isn't power, it's the cross. It's not showing the world who's boss, it's the cross. It's not flexing our corporate muscles, it's the cross. In fact, I I read something someone said recently. They said when God flexes his omnipotent muscle, it doesn't look like Rambo or the Terminator. It looks like Calvary. The mightiest sword in the kingdom is not a sword at all. But the loving submission of God's people. And if we're going to be involved in the political process, if we're going to be involved in, in, in things like, like standing up for rights, then our call, first and foremost, is to stand up for people who have no voice. To be a voice for the voiceless. To be, a, to be an advocate for the vulnerable and the innocent and the people that our culture and our world takes advantage of. If we're going to stand up for someone's rights, it ought to be those folks. That ought to be our higher priority because that's the spirit of Christ. And we're worried a lot less about how we're being treated and much more about how other people are being treated. And even more, how we are treating other people and particularly those who oppose us. The kingdom of God doesn't seek to conquer the kingdom of God seeks to transform and the only way we are ever going to have a a witness in this world is to have a witness that looks different from the rest of the world to respond to people in a way that's different from how everyone else responds To respond with love and compassion and grace. And I know that's hard because that feels like weakness. That's because it is weakness. But it's our weakness in God's strength. And if the plan of God for reconciling the world to himself is the cross, how could we ever think that our part in bringing about God's purposes would be anything different than the cross. God's plan, this isn't plan B because plan A just didn't work and so this is second choice. This is God's plan from before the foundation of the world. And as followers of Christ, we are called to the spirit of Christ. To a willingness to surrender and sacrifice and love. And yes, even to stand for truth, but to do so in a way that looks totally different from how everyone else stands for truth. Because it's not just about the end, it's the journey. It's how we live and our attitude and our responses. And if we really want to shake up the world, 
then we get involved in standing up for people that don't have anything to do with us. Don't, don't, aren't gonna bring, it's not going to bring anything back to us. But it's because it's right. And it's because it's what Jesus would do. It's because it's the nature of his kingdom. I think the hard part for us is to truly believe, to truly embrace and to trust that God's strategy of the cross really works. That that the power of the cross is greater than the power of any enemy, any opposition that will ever come against us as God's people. Do we trust that God's plan works? That it's right? That even when it seems awfully slow, even when it seems to not be working the way we want it to work, that God's way is the right way. That the way of the cross is the way of life. Will we trust enough to embrace this strategy, to embrace God's plan wherever it takes us, whatever God's plans for us? Because it is the way of God. Heavenly Father, it's a hard word for us. I suspect that every one of us right now is thinking, yes, but it's the most natural thing in the world. Heavenly Father, speak to us where we need it. And give us grace to embrace your plan for reconciling the world to yourself through the cross. And as your people, to willingly, lovingly, joyfully take up our cross and follow you. Let it be so through Christ Jesus. Amen.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.